Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the HDR Student Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Dimi Lattice. On today's episode, we are talking about being an intelligible writer, where we talk about the complex issues of both identity and authority when it comes to being a HDR student. Our special guest today is Bronwyn James. Bronwyn is head of both academic enrichment and the learning centre here at the University of Sydney. The content today comes from her article, Becoming an Authorised Postgraduate Research Writer. Welcome to the show, Bronwyn. Thanks, Demi. It's good to be here. Bronwyn, I was hoping before we begin our discussion today, would you be able to give our listeners who might not have read your article a summary about what it is about? Yeah, and if it's okay, I'd like to begin before that summary by putting the journal article in a bit of a context. Okay, it's actually part of a broader project, and that was my own PhD, (laughs) and it was titled Silences, Voices, Negotiations, Becoming a Postgraduate Research Writer. My PhD project and other journal articles that have come from it, like the one we're going to talk about today, actually came out of my work with research students at the University of Wollongong and also at Western Sydney University. So my work involves supporting students to write. And here at the University of Sydney, it's a similar sort of work that the Learning Centre does. Before I started my PhD, I'd been working a lot with research students in different disciplinary fields. And I was always interested in the ways in which students would come to a consultation with me to talk about their writing. Um, and we would work on some aspect of their writing, and they'd get really excited. Oh, yes, I'll go away and do that. Um, And then they'd go off and do it, and they'd do something totally different. So I'm thinking, what is going on at this point? So they seemed really keen to implement the changes that we talked about, and often that was done in a very negotiated sort of process. So we'd look at a piece of writing. Maybe they'd got some comments back from their supervisors, or maybe they actually felt they weren't, quite expressing what they wanted to express there. And because I'm coming from a language background, we'd focus on the sorts of language resources they could use. The motivation for my own PhD and for this particular journal article that we're talking about today was to try and figure out what was going on. Was it my teaching or was it just the students weren't getting it? What was it? So that really was the basic context for what my own PhD was about, but also this journal article. So to come back to the idea of the summary of this particular journal article, Becoming an Authorised Postgraduate Research Writer, and authorised, you have to think of that as having scare quotes around it. So it's a study of the work that one student does across a series of drafts to try to make her writing acceptable or intelligible. And I'm going to put scare quotes around intelligible as well. And we'll come back and talk about those ideas a bit later. So the student in this particular journal article I've called Bernadette, And she's a visual arts student. Painting is her medium. It's a very abstract form of painting that she produces. Her subject matter is her trying to represent a really deeply, highly emotive experience that she had, that she didn't feel that she could communicate easily in words to anybody. But as well as producing this fantastic artwork, and it really is fantastic artwork. I went and saw some of her exhibitions. It was beautiful artwork. She also needed to produce a thesis. I'd worked with Bernadette a number of times, even when she was an undergraduate, on her writing. So I knew she knew how to write. Her supervisor had come back to her all the time with the drafts that she produced saying, you've got to be less emotive. And he he wrote across one of her drafts, um, writing a thesis is not a rapturous activity. (laughs) So she was really trying hard to sort of comply with what he wanted. 
But at the same time, she was trying to keep truthful, if you like. She was very attached to this experience and trying to represent it in the best possible way. And if you have a look at the, the journal article, she says on page 45 that she wants to be truthful to get at the heart of her experience. But as she also says on page 44, there aren't words to describe this rapturous experience. So she was quite stuck. So the issue for her writing became how to represent this same emotive experience in a way which works for both her and her supervisor at the same time. So I guess one of the main arguments that I try to put forward in this journal article is that drafting is more than a student producing a less than perfect text. And this seems like a very obvious example in a way with Bernadette, but I'll talk a bit more about some of the other students um, in that I wrote about as well. But what I'm arguing here is that drafting is, is part of becoming also a particular social subject. It's one who's recognised as a competent writer within your own discourse community. In this article and in my larger study, becoming a competent writer and gaining recognition involves the student writer actually having to foreclose on certain possibilities, to negotiate the written text and to rework bits of the text or sometimes refuse to rework bits of the text. Of course, they don't want to be seen as a certain sort of social subject on the page or they don't want their participants to be seen in that way. So in some of the other uh, examples, and I'm telling you this because I think it gives a bit more weight to Bernadette, what Bernadette was doing in the, the journal article that we're talking about, in some of the other examples of students I've worked with on my bigger thesis project, for example, there was a, an education student who arced up about something that seems really quite trivial. It was about how she named her participants. And also, she was asked to present her thesis to a, a group of people, including her supervisors, but also another student. And while her supervisors were telling her, no, this is fine, it's okay, you'll be fine, the other student said, I don't get it. And what that particular person thought, the, the writer, the student writer, was, look, if she doesn't get it, how do I know other people are going to get it? So she had somehow rather, if you like, internalised this student as being the scary other who might get to read her thesis at some point. And she ignored her thesis supervisor's advice not to worry about what this person had said and really changed her text because of it. Another example was a linguistic student who was subject of her thesis was actually her son's language. Within the sort of received wisdom of her, her field, she should have categorised his language as a proto-language, but she was refusing to do that. And she was really pushing the field uh, in many ways because that's the received wisdom, that's what she should do. But she was really arguing against that. And in part, there was a really strong emotional aspect to that. In each of these examples, there was a strong theoretical and data-driven argument that each of the students were trying to make. But going hand in hand with that at the same time, there was a deeply embodied experience of writing and one that each of them had to find their way around or negotiate in their writing. In this particular journal article, I talk about working with text in this way in the drafting process as being about negotiations and foreclosures, limitations, and improvisations. And I argue that in doing this work, students are writing themselves onto the page as much as they're just constructing sentences and paragraphs and you know, various parts of the thesis. They're actually writing themselves onto the page as certain sort of social subjects. So a draft is much more than a collection of linguistic resources and structures. 
used to represent the content of a thesis project. So writing's also intimately connected with how we want ourselves to be seen or our participants to be seen. And it's also really connected with what sort of self is authorised within your discipline to be seen. Who is that we, we think about that can make judgments about our writing and authorise us as a good enough writer, as a competent writer, fantastic writer, who we assume and, well, not even assume, but who really can make those sort of judgments. So I'm trying to do in this journal article was to work out what was going on, not just through a linguistic process, but also thinking about it in terms of us being the writers of this text. And I found Judith Butler's work terribly scary to read, but it was fantastic. Just a little bit about Judith Butler. He doesn't write about thesis writing at all. But for Butler, we're constituted as social subjects through language and our engagement with others. This means there's no single subject position or social identity, which is ours for all time in all circumstances. It's a much more fluid sort of idea of subject position. She doesn't talk about identity. She talks about subjectivities. So, for example, someone who's reading my work might decide it's total rubbish. <laughs> and I become, in Butler's term, an abject social subject, somebody who isn't writing right. And someone else might decide that my writing is something to say, even though it might be outside the boundaries of the norm. And so in that moment, I become an innovative subject who writes. And of course, both of those things might happen at the same time, depending on who's reading my text. So I could be both an abject subject and an innovative subject, and my text could be both rubbish and interesting at the same time. So there's this idea about there being no fixed place to be, if you like. When I first read the article, the thing that stuck with me was your recognition of the vulnerability of being a research student. It is not only our writing which is being formed and moulded in these years of study, it is our identity. I know that for many students, myself included, we have feelings of being constantly in transition. Yeah, I do think that research candidature is a very vulnerable space. Students invest so much in doing the work and in the writing of the thesis. And the thesis and the drafts of the thesis are going to be judged. You're putting yourself out, or I'm going to conclude myself in this because I still feel the same way when I'm writing. You're putting yourself out there as being able to be judged and called into being, if you like, to use a butler type of phrase, as a certain sort of social subject, depending on who is reading and responding to our writing. So we can become abject writers, competent writers and so on at different times or even at the same time in different contexts. And yes, I think doctoral student writers and indeed any one of us who are writing for publication in academia are in transition in the sense of wanting recognition. So we all want that recognition, uh, the positive recognition that is. <laughs> but I don't think that that transition space is ever fully resolved and that's why the title of this paper that we're talking about is Becoming an Authorised Postgraduate Research Writer rather than Being an Authorised Post-Research Writer. Because it's about what we do or what you do as a writer, but it's also about the text reception and the sorts of discursive, in the sense of a powerful sorts of issues that surround that reception as well. From a Butler perspective, this transitional space is not resolvable in that we're not fixed as one identity or one sort of social subject for all time. So we're called into being a certain sort of social subjects through the language of whomever is addressing us. So it's also about what we put on the page, but it's also about how that's received. And while that sounds quite negative, I think there's a really positive aspect to this. 
we've got some agency and Butler very much talks about the idea of a sort of agency within constraint. So it's not that we are always an abject writer, it's not that we're always a competent writer and we can still act in a particular way. So we can change, for example, how we write on the page and Bernadette, for example, did that when you have a look at the journal article. She really wanted to comply, but some of the other students that I worked with didn't want to comply. So they did all sorts of interesting things with language to get around having to be a certain sort of person that maybe they were being asked to be by their supervisor. And that was the reason that their writing took off on some really unexpected tracks, if you like. And those things can be quite exciting things. I mean, I'm not saying go for a free-for-all and do whatever you like, but I think those sort of moments when you are having to be pushed into a place where you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do in response to being identified as this sort of a writer or that producing that sort of a text? How am I going to work with that? I think that can be a really productive place to be in rather than a scary place. So it's a matter of reframing it, if you like. So we can still act with this idea of being in transition all the time. It's not like we're always one thing or another. So what does it then mean by being an intelligible or competent writer? The notion of authorised, and I'm sticking scare quotes around that again, it's important here, and it comes back to this idea about being recognised as producing a, a sort of competent text. And this is something that happens over time. Like, I think if I were to think back on my own PhD candidature as well, it's this idea about being recognised as competent and intelligible by those you think that matter. And most obviously those that matter will include supervisors and ultimately thesis examiners. But they may also be others that matter, sometimes even our own internalised voices of others who have mattered at some point in our lives. This sort of idea, and not so much from a, a sort of psycholinguistic or a psycho, psychoanalysis point of view, but we do have a sense of who's reading or who might read or how we might be seen when we write a draft. And these real and, and sometimes imagined others impact on how we write that text and what sort of negotiations we make in order to gain recognition as writing an intelligible text and therefore being an intelligible and competent writer. So that the notion of intelligible as a sense of producing a text that's understood within a particular discourse community. And we've talked a little bit about that, but an example would be the student who writes a science-based text um, but who wants to put in a very prominent personal voice and that could be seen as just too much at odds with the conventions in the field. And at that moment, the text and its writer become unintelligible. So I'll give you another example. This is also from my own PhD. Was a, one of the people in that was a cultural studies student. The text that she wrote was gained huge acclaim within her discourse community but when it was analysed by somebody from a totally different field from education and from linguistics it was seen as a very less than competent text and got very negative sorts of comments so I particularly want to talk about one line in your article that resonated with me you said we would miss much if we simply understood drafting as a matter of less than competent writer producing a less than competent text Drafting for all of us is a stressful process, one which often students shy away from. Receiving feedback, although necessary, can be quite difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bernadette says, you know, I've just got to keep working on it. I've just got to keep making it better. And she was really determined to, to do that. Others 
were saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else because that's not how I want to be seen. That's not how I want the subject of my study to be seen. This is important to me. I'm going to find a way through that. Drafting is essential because you get feedback. And what I'm arguing in this journal article, but in also in other things that I've written around this, is that it's a deeply embodied and risky process. And I think what I wanted to do in this journal article and the other other sorts of journal articles I've written was to identify that those moments of changing a text are really important. They're not just scraps of paper to throw away, but they're really rich moments and they're moments of potentially deep learning and of becoming a certain sort of social subject. And I think if only we could recognise the potential of those moments, and by we I'm talking about us as writers, students who are writing their, their thesis, but also supervisors and people who are trying to support students in that writing. I think that we shouldn't worry about getting the perfect draft straight up. And by perfect I mean, you know, something that gets the double ticks like Bernadette got from her supervisor in the second draft that she did. And I really hope that this sort of journal article and the other things that I've written might make us a little humble and encourage us to realise that producing a written draft is a really complex process of negotiation with a number of complex and competing demands. And it's a lot more than knowing how to construct a particular genre or use particular linguistic resources to represent a thesis project, although those are important. Brahman, have you got any final words of wisdom for our listeners? Yeah, look, I think just write. You've just got to write. And in that writing, it takes you somewhere. And I mean, the feedback will come to you from your supervisors. And it may not be something you want to hear, but it is something that you can work with in some way. So it's really about, you know, writing, but also acknowledging that, yes, drafting is risky. And there is an element of you or an aspect of your subjectivity that you put on the page. That's probably why we all feel a bit nervous about doing that drafting and showing it to other people. Thank you so much for today. We hope that you enjoyed and found this episode useful. If you would like more information about topics that affect HDR students, please subscribe to this podcast, the HDR Student Learning Podcast. This is your host, Dimi Lattice. Happy studying, everyone.